Hello, everybody. My name's Tim Perko, and you're listening to I Believe. Now what? Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, good night. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, welcome to I Believe Now What? If this is your first time here, we are a podcast that is directed towards the growing of the body of Christ and grace and knowledge that is the Christian, the believer. And hey, even if you're a non-believer, welcome to the channel. Welcome to the podcast. We are glad to have you here. And hopefully, maybe the Lord will work in your heart and you will come to salvation through this. All right, so without further delay, ado, however you want to say it, we are diving into Romans chapter 6. We are picking back up in our Bible study in Romans. I know it's been a while. Lots of things happened, lots of different topical Bible studies. Uh, Also, one last note, if you are new here, we do different types of Bible studies on this channel. We do topical Bible studies, verse-by-verse Bible studies like the one we're doing today. We also cover current events, different Christian topics, really honestly, wherever the Spirit leads That's what we're going to talk about. All right. Well, let's go ahead and break this down. Let's get into it. Let's stop delaying. Uh, If you have your Bible, go ahead. Please follow along. Uh, We're actually going to go over the entire chapter of Romans 6. Uh, Normally, I like to break these things apart, but this was honestly, it just goes so well together that I saw no reason to break this apart and really wanted to jam this into one episode. I guess jam's not really the best word for that, but I really wanted to go over this. I didn't want to break up what this chapter is doing. Once again, if you have your Bible, please read along with us. Uh, We're going to be using the NASB translation, if you're familiar with that. Uh, That's typically what we do on these verse-by-verse Bible studies. It's one of my personal favorites and from what I believe, one of the most accurate. Now, I am no, by no means, if you know me, I am not a Bible snob. Um, I like to say what my pastor usually says, uh, whatever Bible is in your hand is the best Bible, unless you have, uh, you know, the Passion Translation or the Message Bible, because <laughs> those Bibles, honestly, I well, that's a whole nother episode, but they are not fit for verse-by-verse studies. Let me say that, uh, and we'll move on to another topic. If you got those two versions, though, do your research for real. Those are not meant for studying. Um, all right, let's go ahead and start breaking this down. Now, as we normally do, We are going to read the entire passage and then break it down verse by verse. All right, let's go ahead and pick it up at Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. 
Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be the master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you presented yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which results in death, or of obedience, resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God, through you, or though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we go through this message, Lord, I pray this is you. This is all you in here, Lord. Everything that we say, everything that we go over, please work through this message, Lord. Work in the hearts of those listening. Continue to work in my heart as I'm teaching this, Lord. Thank you so much for everything you provide for us. In your name we pray, your will alone. Amen. All right, so let's go ahead and start breaking this down verse by verse. All right, so verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Paul is addressing here, or more so, he's posing a question that he made from his last point in Romans chapter 5, specifically referring back to Romans chapter 5, verses 20 through 21, where he wrote, the law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through the righteousness of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, what Apostle Paul did here was he posed a hypothetical question because he had the foresight to think about, all right, dudes are going to read this, and they are going to think some off-the-wall stuff. Let me go ahead and address this right here and now. So pretty much in modern terms, Paul was posing the question like this. So if God's grace shines best through the darkness of sin, should we just keep on sinning so that God's grace can show even better? Paul gave a very quick and to-the-point answer on this in the next two verses. He says in verses 2 through 3, May it never be. How shall we who died to sin live in it? 
Or do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have also been baptized into his death? So obviously, as we break this verses 2 through 3 down, so obviously the answer to that question in verse 1 should be, uh, should we keep on sinning so that God's grace can shine even more? The answer is obviously no. No, of course not. Sadly, some people would take that and run away with it still, though, even to this day, even though it's so plainly addressed right here in the Bible. No, we do not keep on sinning to show God's grace even more. Apostle Paul was saying God's grace is shining bright in our lives because of the sinful lives we used to lead, but that doesn't mean you go on sinning thinking that uh, this is going to show God's grace even more. No, our changed life is what does that. He's going to go on and explain this. I don't want to get too far ahead here in my notes. What the Apostle Paul does now in these verses 2 through 3, he gives us the reason um, on why, why we shouldn't uh, be thinking that way, thinking that Oh, let's just live in grace and sin all we want. He says, uh, pretty much, how can a Christian who is supposed to be dead to sin continue to living, continue to live in it? As a Christian, we are dead. This is me talking now. As a Christian, we are dead to sin because of Christ. His death was our death to sin. And through that death, we have been made righteous in the eyes of God. This is the exact thing that happens on the cross. And it goes back, I say this time and time again, whether I'm preaching sermons or it's here on this podcast, when a Christian dies, they stand before God. They are not going to be judged for salvation based on what they said and what they did, but rather they're going to get judged on what Christ did. This is what it means when we were crucified with Christ on that cross. Our sins were crucified with Christ on that cross. Christ lived that perfect life that was pleasing to God, the life that we could never live, the things he did, the things that we could never do. And just to make sure people understand what Paul is talking about here, when he said that we are dead to sin in verse three, uh, he goes on to say that once we're baptized into Christ, we are also baptized into his death. Now, this is not talking about some type of water baptism or anything like that, uh, but rather this is referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, for you newer Christians out there, uh, if you go ahead and throw around the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's going to mean a few different things to a few different people. Uh, let's just go over that briefly because I do think it's important to go ahead and differentiate. Specifically, I'm going to go over the two main uh, interpretations of what that is. So you got the first one, which is, this is what I hold more closely to. Uh, it, I'll use it based off of John chapter 3, where Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about being born again. Um, I, I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit regenerates you. That is when you become a Christian, that point in time where you became a Christian. This is what John 3 says on it. And obviously, like I, like I always say, I encourage you to study and read this on your own. Just don't take my word for it. But John chapter 3, verse 5 reads like this. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit, big S, Holy Spirit, is spirit. Little s, our spirit. Verse 7, Do not be amazed at what I just said to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Big S, Holy Spirit. In other words, 
The moment that you believe you were born again, that was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, the other popular notion, and this one is held mainly with uh, Pentecostal and charismatic circles, uh, is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit means to them, this means that it's something that comes after you have already been saved, uh, after conversion. Um, and sometimes, you know, they, they do believe, depending on who you talk to, it can come at the exact same time, too. Uh, and But the key thing is here is normally, and once again, depending on who you talk to, they could say always accompanied by a manifest, bleh, manifestation of spiritual gifts, most specifically the gift of tongues. Uh, this is often uh, cited as a reference verse for them. Uh, Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 2. This is the day of Pentecost here. I'm going to go ahead and read it. Um, it says, And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. And the Spirit was giving them utterance. All right. So, once again, not trying to go over in depth on this, but you got the two main points. One believes baptism of the Holy Spirit is your regeneration. And another one would believe that it's a second thing that happens after or maybe at the exact same time as salvation, usually accompanied by the gift of tongues. Um, honestly, I don't think you would find anybody in any of those circles who would say that at the point of conversion, nothing happens. You know, the Holy Spirit's definitely involved there. Um, I just don't see anything about a baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, when it comes to those manifestations of gifts. Instead, I would like to use the actual words that the Bible says there, where it says they are filled with. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is not necessarily something that everyone is going to experience. Me personally, I hold that this was a very special time in the book of Acts, building the foundation of the church. That's why these men were empowered. These men and women were empowered this way. You talk to other people, they'll say this is still continuing on today. And honestly, it's kind of ambiguous when you read it in the Bible. I'm not going to go super in depth on it, even though I, I keep going that way. Um, but what... Acts chapter 2 is really referring to is being filled with the Holy Spirit. You're being empowered by it. Think back to, to Peter when he gave his famous sermon right there after the day of Pentecost or on the day of Pentecost. Think back to Stephen when right before he was getting stoned, he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and preached this amazing sermon on Abraham and Moses and the law, uh, ultimately leading back to Christ right before he was stoned. Uh, this was being filled by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, emboldened by the Holy Spirit. That's the way that I view it. So for the sake of this podcast, whenever we mention baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are specifically referring to regeneration, becoming a Christian, being saved, however you want to kind of coin that. Whenever we say baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's what we're talking about, at least here on this podcast. All right, so now that that's done with for now, we can do an entire episode on that, honestly. Um, we'd probably make a couple episodes out of it, actually. Um, but back to Romans chapter 6, and we are currently on verse 4 now. So Paul continues in verse 4 on, on being buried with Christ and what this means. Verse 4 says, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. 
So Paul starts this verse out with therefore, and I'm sure you've heard this before, but whenever you read the word therefore, it's always good to go back and look before. Get it? Therefore, before. (laughs) But that's because he's going to address a topic that he was just talking about, usually giving the answer or some very good in-depth insight to it. So if you're just kind of glancing through your Bible, you're reading and you see the word therefore, if you want to get a deeper understanding, go ahead, back up a few verses and read it over again. So that way you know exactly what he's talking about. Maybe God will open up some truth in your eyes. Okay, so continuing on in this light, uh, Paul in verses three through four was talking about how we're dead to sin and we have been baptized into Christ's death. And with that, he explains in verse 4, just as Christ was raised from the dead um, through the glory of the Father, us also will get to partake in that newness of life, walk in that newness of life. And in verse 5 through 7, he actually goes on to explain what that means. Here we go, verses 5 through 7. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Awesome, isn't it? This few verses right here is very self-explanatory, but we're going to go ahead and break it down anyways. So we see, number one, we see that our sin, uh, when Christ died, that sin died on the cross with him. Our old sinful selves, the way we used to be, All that was crucified with him. This includes not just our old dead spirit, but our our entire body of sin or our desire for sin that controlled us. The lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes. Go ahead and throw the pride in life in there to make it complete. That was all crucified with Christ. And when the Holy Spirit baptized us into salvation, we stopped being a slave to our own sinful flesh. But rather, we were regenerated. We were made new. We received a repentant or a changed mind. That's what repentance means, to change your mind. The things that we used to do, the things that we wanted, they're changed now. And the desires are replaced. Those selfish, fleshly desires we had, they're now replaced with desires to honor and glorify God. We were freed from sin's grasp. This is all happening right here on earth in the present as a Christian. This is the regeneration which leads into sanctification. Now, some of you might have never heard the word sanctification before. That's okay. We're going to get into that here in just a little bit. But the second point that Paul makes on is that once our time on this earth comes to an end and the day of the Lord comes, we will be resurrected into a new body, just the same as Christ did. Now, obviously, uh, I can hear the pre-tribs out there screaming, uh, oh, no, no, it, it comes before the day. Of the, I, I get it. I, you know, that's ambiguous. I flip-flop on pre-trib, post-trib, rapture, you know, uh, all the time, more than a pancake at IHOP. But we'll go ahead and leave that one, that concept for another day. So Paul is explaining here in these sets of verses, he explains uh, this concept so many times in his letters. But we're going to go ahead and just stick to this one for now. Otherwise, this podcast will come forever. Uh, But essentially, as a believer in Christ, we have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, made into a new creation in Christ. This is justification. You are justified. And then through that regeneration, you become repentant. Once again, changing your mind. You are now dead to sin. 
Now, this does not mean that you are never going to sin again. And Paul honestly goes over that in chapter seven, which we're going to hit up on the next time. But when it what it does mean is that we are no longer slaves to that sin because our mind is now changed. We have a new spirit. We're a new creation. This process of this growing uh, that we're doing, we, we will have and continue this for the rest of our natural life here on earth. And that process, like I said, is called sanctification. Now, I know I probably triggered some uh, Wesleyan holy, holiness movement guys out there because they actually believe that you can complete sanctification here on this earth. I personally don't see the scripture that supports that, but as always, go ahead, hit me up in the social media. We could talk about it. Be, be a great time. I'd love to interview you on that, actually. Uh, it'd be a great time. Not a debate, just a you know nice interview. <laughs> But anyways, uh, for now, when we talked about sanctification on this podcast, we are talking about the ongoing process that goes on for the rest of your natural life. We're going to get a little bit deeper into sanctification later on, uh, so we'll leave it there for now. But after sanctification is complete and we are dead physically on this earth, we are finally made just like Christ and in spirit, not just in spirit, but and in body as well. And this is something that's going to happen, like I said, after our physical death here on this earth. Or if the rapture comes, we will be raptured before that and made like that. (laughs) But we are at that time glorified. You got justified, sanctified, glorified. We're going to touch up on that more as we go into Romans chapter 8, way down the line. But uh, for now, in verses 8 through 11 of our chapter, Paul pretty much wraps up this portion this topic that he's talking about before moving on to his next subtopic. And here we see him summarize everything that we were just explaining. This brings us on to verses 8 through 11, if you are following along. Verses 8 through 11 reads like this, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to Christ. So you see, that goes over pretty much everything that we were just talking about. Now, after writing this in verses 8 through 11, Paul now moves on to his next subtopic, like we were saying. And honestly, this has to do with the very first verse in chapter 6 that we were reading. He says in verses 12 through, through, uh, bleh, 12 through 14, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. Now, as I was just saying, Paul wraps up that conversation perfectly right back to his initial question of, should we sin so that grace may abound? In verse 12, he said to not let sin control your physical human body anymore. And in verse 13, to stop using your body for sinful actions. But instead, we now have a new spirit, changed we are, have a repentant mind. We've been baptized into the Holy Spirit. And we should use 
our physical bodies for the glory of God. Now to expound even further on this, before we were regenerated, we were slaves to our sin. There was nothing that we could ever do to please God, nor did we ever really understand how to. Paul wrote about that in Romans 3. We talked about it. There is none who seek after God. No, not one. All are unrighteous. All are bad. Everything. Just bleh. We weren't good people. Paul also wrote about that in 1 Corinthians 2.14. This is a great parallel verse for this. It says, but a natural man, that is the man before regenerated by the Holy Spirit, before becoming a Christian, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised, or in other words, they are blinded by their own sin. So in other words, we are so blind by our own sin that apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, we would never have been able to possess a true belief and understanding of God. Now, obviously, we don't understand everything about God. That's a much more complex subject. Uh, But now, we are, as Christians, alive from the dead. We can now please God and bring Him glory because it's not our own self-righteous works that are at work. It's because it's God working through us. And in verse 14, Paul wraps that up, uh, wraps up that proper understanding by saying this, by, uh, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Whoa, this is a big, big statement. For sin shall not be master over you, but you are not, uh, for you are not under the law, but under grace. You are not under the law, but under grace. This is a statement that probably shocked a lot more people then than it does now. Because back in those days, especially if you were Jewish, the law was everything. You followed it, no questions asked, which was obviously impossible. But since Christ followed it perfectly and became that sacrifice for us, we are no longer under the law. That's what Paul's saying here. We are under God's grace. Now, in the next verse, Paul is going to address another hypothetical question that he assumed people would start thinking after he just dropped that bombshell of we are not under the law, but under grace. Let's go ahead and look at verse 15. Paul obviously had some great foresight in this. Verse 15 reads, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. So here, Paul was obviously so worried that after saying we are not under the law, that people would take that as a free license to sin. I can't think of any better way to say it. So he made the point to answer that just as plainly as he possibly could by saying, may it never be. Now, Paul is going to go on giving the reason why Uh, in the coming verses, why we just can't sin since we're under grace and we're not under the law anymore. Uh, But I just want to add that even though Paul is so clear on this subject, people today are still going to take this the wrong way. They are going to continue on sinning all the while while claiming to be a Christian. They will confess Christ with their lips and deny him 
by their actions. Oh, that sounds like a Bible verse because <laughs> it is. But honestly, if you if you claim to be a Christian and you have that attitude that you could just, you know, we're under grace, not under the law, so I could do whatever I want. God's going to forgive everything. Honestly, the question needs to be asked to yourself. Are you even really a Christian? And I know that's a tough thing, but it, it, it's true. Paul is going to explain this very well, but once again, I'm going to keep continuing on here with this analysis. Uh, little story. I once came across a, a fellow preacher, and we were talking about the, the, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Some call it eternal security. Some people call it once saved, always saved. I really don't like that name just because it, it does kind of sound like that whole free license to sin. Um, I usually prefer perseverance of the saints. And uh, this pastor or this preacher told me that he would never preach on that subject because he was afraid people would take that as a free license to sin. His words. Now, I'm not going to go over the entire conversation, but you can bet I told him a number of things, and one of which was including what I just mentioned. A true Christian will not persist in a life of sin. Period. Does sin, obviously, you know, does sin completely stop? Obviously not. Of course not. There's still going to be sinful moments in our life. But the difference is in the heart. What is in your heart? And what is in that in your heart is obviously going to be made manifest on the outside. Jesus talked about this. A true Christian will hate his or her sin. And when the sin is committed, they will confess that sin. And honestly, they're going to feel horrible about it. Now, they shouldn't go ahead and sit there and wallow in that because God has forgiven us. We are in his grace. Those sins were nailed to the cross with Christ Jesus. But nevertheless, the Christian, the true Christian, is going to show brokenness over sin. A fake Christian will live how they want and continue living a life of sin all while claiming, God's going to forgive, God forgives, God's going to forgive me while never once feeling broken over what they are doing. And like I said before, Paul explains this so well in verses 16 through 18. If you're following along, verses 16 through 18 reads like this, Do you not know, when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin, which results in death, or of obedience, which results in righteousness. But thanks be to God, though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now, right here is the perfect summary of a doctrine known as lordship salvation. In other words, what Paul is saying is that when you submit yourselves under the authority of another, you will be obedient to them and your will is going to be their desire. So if you claim Christ as Lord, how come you don't act like it? Now I'm talking specifically to people who, once again, claim Christ by their mouth, but deny him by, his act, by their actions. In verse 17, Paul tells us specifically again, he tells us that Christ, if Christ, if Christ is your Lord, then through that baptism of the Holy Spirit, we have been enabled 
to be obedient to him because we are no longer blinded by our sin. This does not make us robots like some people would say. Uh, you know, some people think, especially uh, a lot of Arminians think of Calvinists as believing that we're just robots and we've got no will of our own. Obviously, we do because we still disappoint God. God doesn't ordain sin. Uh, but what this does do through that baptism of the Holy Spirit, it, it enables us to be slaves of righteousness rather than slaves to sin. Verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Now, Paul here says when he says, I am speaking in human terms, he's referring back to this uh, master-slave analogy because of honestly just the sheer difficulty of understanding this divine truth. He gives the best analogy that he can give there. And he goes on uh, the rest of this verse to restate what he's been saying previously. Essentially that you used to be slaves to your sin, but now you're not because of Christ. So stop sinning and do works which are pleasing to God because you have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you are able to do works pleasing to God because it's the Spirit that is causing that. I think back to that verse, uh, Ephesians 2. Verse 8, um, where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, and not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And here's the key right here, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in him. So even the good works that we do as a Christian, they aren't our own. They're the works that God prepared before us, beforehand, specifically for us to do. The Holy Spirit enables us to walk in these works. And just as he says at the end of this verse, uh, this results in sanctification. Now, I've been saying sanctification a lot, and I keep saying, oh, we're going to go over it. We're going to go over it. Here, here it is. Once again. Sanctification, this is the process that every Christian goes through during their physical life. It is God working in them, freeing them from sinful habits, and replacing them with Christ-like virtues. Or in other words, the words of uh, Nathan uh, Bingham, and I hope I pronounced his name right. Uh, I've read this in an article passing by. He said that sanctification is a real transformation, not just the appearance of one. Say it again. Sanctification is a real transformation, not just the appearance of one. And I'll add in that that is a, a transformation that continues and grows on for the rest of your natural life, physical life on this earth until the day we enter glorification. Now, verse 20 through 21. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard of to, to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Here, Paul is saying before you became a Christian, you had nothing to do with righteousness. And you were free to do whatever you wanted, whatever you pleased. You did what was right in your own eyes, just as they say in the book of Judges. And those things resulted in death. Now, one thing to note in verse 21, he says, of which you are now ashamed. And this is key. I want to go over this briefly. Uh, some people will tell you uh, not to ever be ashamed of your sins since you're under grace. 
This is just simply not a correct view. As I said before, you know, don't wallow in your sin and in your regret. Know that you are forgiven in Christ Jesus. But as a true Christian, you will be broken by your sin. You will feel broken about that. Use that brokenness as a reminder to never forget, to never go that way again. This verse honestly really makes it clear that a Christian will be ashamed of their sins. When you sin, you should feel bad about it. Confess it, know you're forgiven, learn from it. Don't go that way again. All right, and here we come. Last two verses, verses 22 through 23, reads like this. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Enslaved to God. I want to focus on that real quick. Many translations won't even use the word enslaved or slave, period, because of the negative connotations to slavery, uh, which, which are honestly, rightfully so in a, in a way, because slavery is disgusting and horrid. It's horrible. But slavery the essence of the word slavery here, the, the Greek word doulos, which means slave, is being used the correct way here. The Greek word doulos is honestly, for the most part, as I said before, translated as servant or bondservant normally, not the word slave, which slave is actually what it means in the English language. Uh, the Bible teacher, John MacArthur, he, he really likes to go down on this and he actually breaks this down uh, on what it means to be a slave for Christ. He broke it down to five different meanings of this master-slave relationship we have with Christ. Um, he didn't provide <laughs> what these things mean and if you are a fan, I don't even want to say a fan, that's not a right word. If you are a, a student of John MacArthur and you like to learn from him, you know that a lot of times he likes to use some big words and very... Uh, uh, ambiguous phrases, I guess, in a way, um, and, and doesn't go on to explain them all the time. Uh, the guy is just a mass of theological knowledge that God has blessed him with in understanding scripture. But I'm going to go ahead, uh, based off the scriptural references that he gives for these five characteristics of this master-slave relationship, um, to, to break down what this means in a very general way so that we can all understand. So MacArthur goes on to say that these five characteristics of a master-slave relationship are absolute obedience, compulsory, uh, oh my gosh, I can't say it right today, uh, compulsion obedience, essentially, or compulsory, <laughs> there you go, uh, consistent obedience, exclusive obedience, and loyal obedience. So let's go ahead and break that down real quick. So absolute obedience, this is, you will never question, uh, your master, you will never question and you will always obey. That is your will. That is your desire to never question and always obey. Number two, compulsory. You will have an urge to obey. Or in other words, you want to obey. Number three, consistent obedience. You will regularly obey and be in agreement with it. Number four, Exclusive obedience. This is, you will have no desire to obey anyone or anything else. And number five, 
loyal obedience. You will always support Christ and your desire is going to be for him. And I noticed as I got quiet there, you hear uh, maybe some pounding. That's uh, the rain. It is very loud right now. Uh, Lots of crazy rain going on here in southwest Louisiana. (laughs) But anyways, Paul ends this chapter with the famous uh, verse 23 saying, just to make it absolutely clear, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I know this was a long one, and as I said before, I, I just honestly really felt this needed to be one full episode for this chapter. Um, next time, we're going to go into Romans chapter 7. I'm planning to actually break that up into two episodes. I'm still currently studying it. It's a chapter I've read many, many, many times, but I really want to get another good in-depth study directed specifically uh, for this podcast. Uh, and once again, planning on breaking it up into two episodes, but it's not my will but the Lord's. So we'll see what he has in store for next time. So until next time, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, whatever, hate me, love me, um, don't care for the teaching, you love the teaching, whatever, just hey, go ahead, let us know. We're always growing. We're always willing to learn. I will personally admit that I don't always interpret things correctly first time around. Uh, I do my best. I do my studying. I try to dig into whatever I can, but feedback is always appreciated. Anyways, That's it for now. Go ahead, hit us up, Facebook, Twitter. Talk to y'all later. Y'all have a wonderful day, and thank you, Lord, for your grace.